0: Welcome to Credit Union Conversations podcast with your host, Mark Ritter, a forward-thinking CEO who excels in helping credit unions, small businesses, and real estate investors succeed. Join Mark as he explores current trends, interviews industry experts, and get fresh insights on optimizing your operations and delivering the best possible services to credit union members. Hello everyone, this is Mark Ritter, the CEO of MBFS and your host of Credit Union Conversations. I am really happy to be joining you today because we are in the peak of credit union conference and meeting season and yesterday i sat at the pensacola airport for six hours hoping and praying that i was able to get home at a decent hour and i was uh thanks for the folks at american Uh, airlines. And boy, uh, my travel's been great so far. I haven't had any issues. And then for the first time in my life, there was a plane coming into my airport and that plane had a windshield crack and was diverted to another airport. So we just sat around all day. But I am here, I am recording, and I am happy to have my guest today, Kirk Kordoleski. Kirk, how are you doing?
1: I am great mark and and I live your life, my friend. I've been on the road for the last two months and uh, you know most of the time we fly and do well but every once in a while we have a day like you did yesterday.
0: there, there I, I have decided not to get angry because there's nothing I'm gonna do that's gonna make things better if I do get angry and the airline staff people were very gracious and uh, hey these things happen every once in a while i'd rather have them fix it and me be safe so but yeah it's uh i it, we i feel lucky so far and 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 i have I i don't know about you but i have another 3 solid weeks of travel before uh, things start to settle down so yeah, i i do too my friend it is uh it, it
1: is the season uh, spring and fall we we are uh, we have all these wonderful
0: opportunities to learn but it's a lot of time on the road to do so it is a lot it is indeed a lot of time with significantly higher cost than we've had for the last 2 years My by goodness. the way yes.
1: so. Yeah, absolutely
0: so kirk many people listening will know your name and 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 know who you are but currently you're with om financial you know, give people who might not be familiar with you. Uh, I like to say your background. Give me your origin story, and uh, a little bit about what you're up to today. Thank you, Mark,
1: and and, and thank you so much for including me on your podcast. Uh, you are doing such an amazing job, really, for the industry, and, and certainly for. MBFS and and American Heritage in spreading the word of, about credit unions in an in intelligent and innovative way. And, and uh, I, I greatly appreciate you having me on today. Uh, my background, gosh, uh, I have literally been in the industry um, 40 plus years. It's hard for me sometimes to think about it in those terms. But I, I had the uh, luck, fortune, I was at the right place at the right time, uh, and joined a credit union uh, that is now about $6 billion in assets, uh, bank fund staff in Washington, D.C., when it was literally $20 million in assets, but had a, a new leader. And uh, that new leader, for whatever reason, uh, liked what he saw in me. And he was a banker, which was really kind of interesting to to begin my career and my really passionate beliefs around credit union philosophy, but really kind of solidly built on a foundation of of banking and finance. Uh, And he had moved in from Bank of America when Bank of America was that uh, institution in uh, San Francisco uh, before it became the national bank that it is today. And uh, and we started on a path and, and, and it was a learning path an opportunity path and we built out all the products and technologies that uh, uh, created a foundation for that organization to grow. But what for me, it was, uh, I got to learn every piece of the business. I had the opportunity to learn every piece of the business uh, from the ground up by developing the mortgage business and then the the uh, debit and credit card business and and all of those pieces. And uh, so my my career went on, on from there. I got uh, an amazing opportunity to join Beth Page Federal Credit Union a, a decade later um, as an executive vice president. Beth Page at the time was about nine, uh, when I joined it was $450 million in assets. When I had the honor of becoming CEO, it was 950 million in assets. And we, uh, the team at Beth Page, still an amazing group of people that are there today. Uh, helped grow that institution to $6 billion when I retired, doubling our size every five years, and um, all organically. Um, and uh, now is about $12 billion in assets. So I've had this, this uh, tremendous opportunity of being at the right place at the right time, hopefully uh, having some ideas about how credit unions could expand and grow differently than they had in previous generations. Um, and then been in the right markets with the right team to be able to execute on that. I retired uh, about seven years ago now, it's uh, also hard to believe how time flies, and uh, started up a, uh, a marketplace lending company, uh, founded it with two uh, FinTech experts, uh, and uh, it did not get off the ground. We were probably a couple of years early, Uh, If we'd had the funding to stick with it, it would be interesting to see where we were today as as companies like Zest and Synaptics AI do so well. Um, Formed a couple uh, consulting firms, got brought in uh, uh, to lead uh, two practices. Uh, One was on strategy and and growth and CUSOs, uh, something that Beth Page had done well over the years. And uh, and then on digital and data and and data was really uh, such a wonderful experience in, in going into a number of, of sizable credit unions and, and understanding how they use business intelligence and, and executed uh, in making executed their decision making with data uh, and then over the last three years now I was asked to join as a partner at OM Financial Group at OM Financial. Uh, is a supplemental executive retirement firm, SERP firm. Uh, it brought the split dollar, the one of the two primary options for credit union executives' retirement plans to the industry uh, in the early 2000s, uh, developed it out of some experience of the banking industry, and we're the first providers. And, and now we're fortunate enough to have um, a few hundred credit unions as accounts um, and a few thousand policies and, and uh, retirement programs in place. And that has, has really been where my energy and enthusiasm um, is today. I, I love the idea of helping what I think is the most important asset of every company, but particularly credit unions today with all the changes going on. Uh, that asset being uh, the executive talent to be able to be rewarded, and for the organization to be able to retain the, the, that talent, um, I think is particularly important. But for me, um, I, I've i always felt that running a credit union was the toughest job in banking for a lot of reasons. Um, and, and the executive should be rewarded in a way that's commensurate with that risk and, and challenge and strategy and, and growth uh, that's so important for credit unions, but so difficult. Uh, So that's kind of where I am. I've had this amazing career, and um, I'm still running at it. At uh, uh, you know, in my retirement years, and and enjoying the uh, learning aspect of it. I also work with a couple fintechs and a couple CUSOs in advisory roles, and I do a little mentoring. So a little bit here, a little bit there, uh, but a lot of passion.
0: I love to hear and about what I'll call you know the old school credit union days don't take that uh, pejoratively where people learned the whole credit union and they had that whole perspective whereas when i pe- people look at me and i've had people look at me and say oh you're a commercial lending guy well no when when i when i started i learned how to open accounts and i learned I did auto loans and I did, you know, we we did all of those check, you know, check cashing and deposits and good controls. And oh by the way, I did commercial lending, small business lending, and that's the part of my career that kind of took off. Whereas in today's world, you're so people are so specialized. They, yes. th- there isn't the the management training programs or the jack of all trades where one day uh, you're helping out in marketing and then you're on the teller line, and and I, and I love to hear that, and and I wish credit unions and banking for and financial services for that matter went back to more holistic training programs and educating people as opposed to just saying, oh, you're going to learn how to process a mortgage application and you're going to do that widget and that's it.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Mark. And I think as you grow and move up the leadership chain of command, that becomes so important because you now, as as you lead a business unit or you become a a C-level or a CEO, uh, level of talent and, and responsibility that all of those functions start to be necessary to be understood and to be able to ask the right questions and to create the right strategy around marketing and around risk and around finance and even accounting and compliance and technology. But having a, a taste of each of those as I, I as I grew up in organizations allowed me to ask the right questions allowed me to, I hope, understand how people were doing those jobs and what was reasonable to ask of them to be able to do and what was unreasonable, what was within the realm of quality of service or even execution of a process. That's the background that you get by touching those areas. You don't have to know the current details, but that background allows you to ask the right questions and and maybe in some ways that's the most important part of being a leader.
0: So so back in, uh, back in your early days, you know, there was probably, heck, 15,000, 18,000 credit unions in the system, yeah, sure. if not more, uh, you know, but they were much more closed, a lot of smaller shops. You know, looking back, what do you see as the biggest change or what you're surprised about today compared to your early days?
1: I think it really does touch on what you just mentioned. That It is the number of credit unions, but maybe in a different perspective, it's about the number of members and the size of credit unions. And I think that looking back and seeing this, this amazing evolution of single-seg credit unions, select employee groups that were the Bund workers at American Heritage or the Grumman organization for Beth Page, Uh, and then moving into multiple companies. But now, in the substance, the biggest change, is I think we're talking about regional, super regional, and national credit unions. And everything that goes with that size and strategic complexity and technology capabilities and skill sets that's required to run uh, organizations that are hundreds, if not thousands of employees, Um, to build a culture around that, to build a strategy, to build performance within those organizations. That is something that is really quite new over the last decade, where charters have been expanded to allow for multiple states, certainly multiple counties within states. um, And now probably 300, maybe 400 national credit unions that have associations, foundations, or charters that allow them to reach almost anywhere they want in the country. That change then pulls in or or evolves into new types of leaders, uh, new types of investments, partnerships and FinTechs that that I know you work with and and do so well, Um, and the requirements to have very sophisticated finances Uh, when you look at uh, secondary capital now, you look at derivatives and hedging, all of those pieces that are uh, a requirement of multi-billion dollar operations, uh, multiple state uh, marketplaces, uh, product mixes that allow for diversity of products during different economic cycles. All of that is that, that size change that's occurred that is certainly true. Of the top 450 credit unions that are over a billion dollars in assets today. I,
0: I bet if somebody would have told 30-year-old Kirk that there's going to be credit unions that anybody can join by joining an association for ten dollars, and you can anybody in the country can sign up for them, you you would have said, "What what are you crazy? We could never do that. We, the, you know, that they'll shut us down. You know, the the police will come in." Uh, yeah, that it's pretty amazing to think back to to the single seg groups and kind of where we've gone to today. So
1: yeah, Mark, you you, you know we the, the communities the communities were only two hundred and fifty thousand uh, populations allowed at that time, right? You know, it's uh, uh, it's extraordinary. Yes, I would have answered that question and said that you know that's not a world that we'll ever see. Credit unions will always remain um, serving a couple companies.
0: So, me and you have done the tour, and uh, we've seen a lot of people, heard a lot of presentations, and I'm gonna do, we're going to do some quick hits here on what you think, and I'm going to steal a little bit from a recent social media post that you had, and we'll, we'll just do a minute or so on, on each topic. So, when, when I came back from our Credit Union 2.0 event out in Boulder, I sat with my credit team And I said, your job is going to completely change if not be obsolete within five years. So let's get in front of this and figure out how we can be the best because automation AI is going to extremely change your world. And, And that's just an example. Um, what what are you seeing and when you when you go around and see the AI the machine learning uh, the automation that can take place what what do you think of that in terms of what credit unions need to do to stay on top of that
1: I, I do think it is fundamental changes as you suggested to your team we are looking at I think a pivoting point in our industry and in industries and in business and total the advent of cloud technology that allowed for the, the, the storing of immense amounts of data. And then the tools that are be, that have been created like ChatGBT and, and others that uh, utilize that data to make, uh, to learn and make effective decisions and now be able to create, if, if you will, write a document, uh, create a PowerPoint, write a poem, whatever it may be, uh, is fundamentally changing how we're going to do business. And uh, the explosion of it uh, in the last three months, four months um, is will rock all of, of how we think about and do things uh, administratively, operationally, and and uh, functionally. So I, I, I find it to be, uh, exciting uh, an opportunity. And, and the reason why I think it's particularly exciting for credit unions, and this is something I, I'm not sure that most people think about, but credit unions, because of their member being driven by the cooperative structure and members, have really been some of the most effective adapters of technology that uh, in the financial services business, certainly better than savings banks and mutuals and now community banks did. Um, and if you look back on a history of real-time operations in the '70s, '80s, uh, real-time debit and credit, uh, the next in the next uh, decade, uh, online banking, the first adapters of of uh, much of that with digital insight, and, and a number of other applications. I, I think that credit unions will adapt because the members demand it, and they are. Uh, situated now, there will certainly be some credit unions that won't and that will struggle through it. That is always true, uh, but generally, thinking, I think I believe that it's a pivotal change and that one that credit unions will adapt to and, and run. And you look at Zest and Synaptics AI, Core AI, um, Agent IQ, a bunch of these companies, uh, Quint. My goodness, uh, I'm sure you know many more that are already at the at the forefront of some of these discussions. Absolutely.
0: So let's pivot to the big issue, the 900-pound the gorilla in the room for our, our space today. And that's the, the, the first time in a long time, and you could probably get come pretty close to when the last time credit unions really as an industry had some liquidity pressures. What, what are you hearing? What, I mean, we first really picked up on this in June of last year, you know, kind of that people started thinking about it and then it really accelerated. What are you seeing uh, in terms of those liquidity pressures getting better, or worse, staying the same at credit unions? And, and, and where do you think we're heading?
1: Yeah, I, um, it's getting better. I, I think, you know, we went through a period of time that ended the year and began twenty three, where everyone was was frightened. Uh, they were concerned. Their liquidity had uh, been absorbed quicker than they'd ever seen it in history. and there there was another situation that went on. Uh, the demographic shift that had occurred with so many retirements, there had been very few people that had seen interest rates increase to the level that that we have seen. Um, in a short period of time, and the absence of liquidity, so there wasn't a lot of experience at, at credit unions, and there there was a, a, a reaction, and and a little bit of a slow reaction. Mark, I mean, it, it, many credit unions did not attack the deposit market, and um, you know, for a variety of reasons uh, of their own making, but uh, did not go after deposits. The online banks, the direct banks, uh, and some individual institutions like Alliant Credit Union did attack that marketplace with higher savings rates and higher money market rates. We,
0: we had people really resist that raising deposits and saying, well, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Well, you you were there, so you just didn't know.
1: That's it. right. And and you know, it's you credit unions, financial institutions in general, right? Cannot dictate the economic market or the number of variables. You have to react to it. Saying you're not going to react to it may, in a short run, give you higher margins. But in the long run, it has a negative effect, in this case, liquidity. So now the credit unions have reacted, right? They've, they've, uh, you see CDs and money market accounts and savings rates all being raised. Credit unions are starting to see some, some inflows, not nearly as much as they saw 20 years ago the last time this happened.
0: But they are seeing inflows enough to. I always said that, Kirk. I always said the days of putting the CD special in the Sunday paper, and Mm -hmm. uh, on Monday and Tuesday, everybody would come and open the account. They are done. Yes, they they are officially done. You can't just throw a rate out there and expect that. Oh, we're going to turn this up. It it is has to be a proactive sales effort and not just simply our best rate is blank today.
1: Yeah, and that's it, Mark, right? The, the credit unions uh, that are doing that, right, that are reaching out, that are segmenting, that are using data to find the, the, the folks that, that would likely do it, even segmenting around branches that, that might have the right age demographics and the right uh, savings rates and the, and the right uh, incomes, uh, they're using those tools much better. And, and I think that's softening the blow. But also you know, the, the the government, uh, when the Fed allows for for uh, the bonds, uh, utilization of the bonds to get at 100 percent of their value and take a loan for one percent for a year, that has softened the, the, the burden on the credit unions that were most uh, severely hit or hurt. So you got all of that going on. It's not over. There's more to come. There's more challenges, but it is better than it was three months ago.
0: Yeah, that, that's exactly what we're here. There, there's not going short of a uh, an, another pandemic. There, there's not. It's not going to be a slow shift, but it is definitely shifting to the positive. So let's yep. let's shift and and talk a little bit more about what you specialize in today, and, and that is helping credit unions keep and and their talent and retain them. And I, I, I think back to my father, a uh, blue-collar guy. He had an electrician, and for his whole adult life, he had two jobs. Uh, and the only reason it was two is because when the factory closed in the town I grew up in, he had to get another job, so he had two jobs. But those days are gone. Uh, and, and I think back to, you know, I even I look at some of the credit union staff where where you know, many credit unions had that, what I'll call the legacy CEO, you know, maybe they hired somebody with they were, they were young and they were either an executive or the CEO for 30 plus years. Yes, sir. I don't know if we're gonna, we're not gonna see that generation again because they're not hiring uh, in general 25 to 30 year CEOs to say you're now in charge of this little thing called the credit union. So the competition as I see it is brutal to really attract and retain. You know, what what do you see it like out there for credit unions, you know, big, little and everything in between, who 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 need to grow and need to attract that top talent. What's the competition like today?
1: It is brutal as, as the word that you used and really there are four reasons why it is as difficult and as challenging as as I've ever seen it in the 40 plus years I've been looking at this business. Uh, First and foremost is a demographic shift, uh, the macro issue of of baby boomers retiring. Uh, The substance of that uh, is removing a major credit union a week, uh, maybe two a week uh ceo talent that you read about in credit union times and credit union journal et cetera, but you know also underneath them in each of the c-level positions that's also happening if, if you look back at uh in my favorite spot in the world beth page credit union you know they now they have two other ex- execs retiring in june and so that that transition continues to occur so there is an immense demand of talent just based on the demographics And the the generation behind baby boomers is smaller than the baby boomers. So there's also uh, some math that goes there. But the other aspect of it, and Mark, we see this in in the credit unions that we both talk to, uh, as assets have increased substantially and new markets that we talked about, the expansion of credit unions and product mixes, there's a lot more C-talent just required, right? They're now C-level jobs for member experience, for risk, for digital and data, sometimes all of those pieces are new jobs, but are expansion or requirements for talent.
0: I always look back to even when I started in banking, whoever was the best at their level of job, that's the one got got promoted, and then whoever was <laughs> at that level of job got promoted, and, and eventually that's how you figured out who was the executive team. Uh, you know, it started out at that teller line and worked its way up. But things are so sophisticated and move so fast, and there's so much complexity, you can't do that anymore.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, and even then, it was you know that idea of sink or swim is, is problematic as a leader. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so there's that demand for talent, asset growth, sea level talent growth, demographics, all uh, pushing it. And and one other aspect uh, that we've touched on, and that is that there are a number of leaders that are leaving particularly in in mid and smaller credit unions because of the substance of the change of technology and the retail banking model going you know more digital and data versus branches and and so that uncomfortableness is also leading uh, to a number of people who maybe not are right at retirement age but are are retiring because of their uh, their uncomfortableness with how, how much the model's changed. So what do you see in that? You see, uh, what is demand cost, right? The uh, supply and demand issues, uh, salaries are up. Uh, they are, uh, in Q's data of for 22, uh, beginning of 23, CEOs increases for base and annual in, incentives are up 15%. Uh, NAFQ Gallagher report up about 12%. Uh, C level folks in the seven eight nine percent increases. Uh, so you you have uh, dollars going up. you have annual incentives and long-term incentives increasing as well. You, at, at credit unions over three billion now Mark, you see base salaries, annual incentives, a long-term incentive, something five, seven years that pays out that is retentive and then you see a retirement package. So all of those pieces are are now at play because of the supply and demand issues. Every new CEO that's going into a job is getting a contract and that contract is requiring some or all of these.
0: What what I look back at and you know, I've been at the QSO as the CEO for 10 years and when I took the job, I put a for sale sign in front of my house. Moved the family a couple hours east, and I now have this job. And this, and but now I am selling my house and moving out to the wilderness because of a remote world. And I see it as, as some boards may not realize the, the competition from their seat for their CEO and talent isn't the credit union down the street where it used to just cycle around in a market area or people would move to a new credit union. The competition is the world. The competition is all the fintechs, it's all the other CUSOs. I know credit union CEOs that have gotten jobs where it's more of a virtual CEO. They're working remote and are at the credit union a few days a month. So that means people can come in and take your talent. If and the cost of to me, the cost of not keeping that talent is much, much greater than paying them the market rates for that, Uh, because, you know, sometimes there is a sticker shock because of the the increasing complexity. But the cost is so much greater uh, to the credit union in not really doing that and structuring that program, like you said, with all of those components. And, and and you know the salaries piece of it, the salaries a piece of it, the you know the benefits are a piece of it, but it's also those you know other compensation packages a little bit. And I'm going to play ignorant a little bit because this is I am. So tell people a little bit about kind of those deferred comp, long term executive payment packages that you specialize a little bit in today.
1: And, and I will—I'll uh, go into both examples of of the ones that that we specialize in. But I, I want to emphasize what you just said: is that that it is uh, compensation is so important in the, all these pieces, and because if you do not keep your talent, if you do not have a succession plan that's effective, if you lose an executive or or a CEO, uh, because you, you're not You've not put in the the uh, compensation pieces that will keep them. The disruption to your strategy and your disruption to your culture and leadership team, and the performance of the organization, you know, is at least twenty-four months long. The companies that manage these handoffs well are the ones that sustain growth. Uh, we often use the analogy of a, a relay race. Uh, it doesn't matter how fast you are if you drop the baton, and and I think that that's uh, very apropos when you're when you're talking about succession planning. Um, and to that point, then what what are the tools that work best in uh, retaining a CEO, retaining the C-level participants in uh, in your organization? There are, uh, the two main options that are available are supplemental, uh, in the Supplemental Executive Retirement Program SERPs. are 457Fs, uh, which are large bonus uh, plans that are uh, pretty, that are very effective for younger execs um, and, and particular jobs like uh, CIOs, where you're really trying to retain them for a period of time, five, seven, 10 years. Uh, it is a bonus that's structured around. You get to that point in time, you've made that objective. The org- the organization has enjoyed your talent, and um, and there is a, a decision made at at that five or seven year mark about whether you stay with the organization and and maybe even stay to your, uh, to the pl- to the years you plan to retire, um, and then another package is is put together. But that is retentive. It is a bonus plan. And it is taxed at your normal tax rate. Those are uniquely dev- designed and strategically specific to each credit union. On a more, on a broader base, benefit executive benefit for the C team are the retirement part of the SERP plans, and and those can be 457Fs, those bonus plans, but more often than not these days they're split dollar based insurance programs and the reason why they use insurance, insurance is just a tool, is because it provides a tax-free benefit retirement program for the executives. How that works is pretty straightforward and it very much functions like a mortgage at a credit union. The credit union gives a, uh, provides the executive a insurance policy. They They pr- create a loan that buys an insurance policy Uh, We use whole life insurance. Other folks use other tools. That very large insurance policy then is collateralized just like a mortgage is back to the credit union. And the credit union always remains uh, will be paid first and will be and will receive interest on that loan for the time for the tenure of that loan until it matures. The executive takes that, that uh, loan, and if you're buying a house, by a mortgage. In this case, you would buy a life insurance policy. That life insurance policy then compounds and grows until the retirement of the executive. At the time the executive retires, there is cash value, much like a home equity loan, uh, at which you can withdraw. We typically do it over 20 years. You can withdraw that cash value And that is the creation of your retirement program, and it's tax-free. Much like the appreciation of your home, that is an asset you own when you own the insurance policy and you're able to take those withdrawals tax-free. That is a substantial value to the organization, to the individual, rather. To the organization, because it's a loan, it's an asset on their books and not an expense, which is the bonus program, which tends to work very well for, for credit unions also by the way used at universities and hospitals so that is kind of the the framework of it then it becomes specific to the age of the executive how the organization is looking at that executive about whether they're going to retire or not split dollar plans work much better if there is a long tenure that is going to happen for the executive Um, and they are underwritten for health and insurance reasons so if the the sweet spot is the mid fifties and younger, because those folks uh, have a longer term to have that that loan policy compound and grow, but also tend to be healthier and and get underwritten at a at a better uh, price. So those tools get designed around the strategy of the organization, the individual growth and strategy and retention. Uh, process for an executive. And then we build them out and, and do it. But that ends up being a unique plan for each credit union and a unique plan for each executive in order to meet their needs. A, a quick example is a younger exec who may be the CFO may need money to fund a college for his kids. That probably is a higher priority and a higher retentive uh, piece than what they're thinking about in retirement. Then when their kids graduate, they think about retirement, and you form plans around both of those goals.
0: And right now, I'll I'll ask the question, just because we have both credit union and CUSO listeners, Mm -hmm. which programs are eligible just in the credit union world, and which ones may be available, what may be available for a non-credit union at a CUSO or any other private company?
1: So, these are uh, both plans, 457Fs, uh, the bonus plan, and split dollar, the insurance-based plans, are designed around the IRS code for not-for-profits. So, that's charitables, hospitals, universities, and credit unions. The okay. CUSOs, though, are that are wholly owned by credit unions are eligible. And so, we do CUSO plans uh, for those that are 100% owned by credit unions. Those that are owned by fintechs at credit unions or outside investors at credit unions are more complex, uh, and it, depending on the percentage, ownership, and some other pieces of the puzzle uh, to get to more of a uh, difficult design. But we're, we're doing these today for CUSOs um, because most of them are, are wholly owned except for some of the fintech partnerships.
0: Great. So, and I think the X factor out there that, that could shift uh, what people really need to, to start thinking about is, you know, you need to uh, retain these executives because also lingering out there are changes in the non-compete rules. Now, they might not impact credit unions directly, but they're sure gonna hit them indirectly. So so there, there's going to be some a lot of shifting in the marketplace and the talent pool continues to shrink in our industry as people retire. So so, Kirk, tell people how they can get in touch with you if they want to learn more and talk, uh, talk a little bit deeper, dr- dive into their particular situation.
1: Yeah, thanks, and, and Mark. And, and so the, really the the three ways to get in touch with me and and Please feel free, anyone, to, to reach out. Um, I will gladly just share information. Uh, we have a webinar series uh, at OM Financial Group. Um, please look us up. The uh, website is om-financial.com. My email is my name, Kirk KirkCordaleschi, at me.com. And my phone number is 516. Five two eight five zero five seven. So please reach out in either one. LinkedIn is also really easy to reach me. But if you, that the webinars that we list out at, at OM Financial, um, that 101 webinar will give you all you need to know about SERPs and, the, and there's no real sales on it. But if you would like to talk and contact me directly and, and think through uh, what the options are, Mark, I we also have, OM also has, a partnership with a gentleman named Alan Dick. Alan is the uh, one of the go-to people, one of the experts in the credit union industry on executive compensation. His firm has led the country in in uh, in analyzing the top 400 credit unions' compensation, as you may know, and as the listeners may know that. Uh, it's very hard to get comp data in credit unions because uh, half the credit unions report on 990s, IRS 990s that are state chartered, but the other half don't report at all. There is no reporting of their, their compensation data. So the firms that have created surveys and analyze uh, executive comp are become very important to getting the right plans in place. Um, Alan retired and he's on retainer now with us, a very independent guy. But anyone that would like to talk to us about uh, understanding what the market is for their current asset size, um, whether it is their base in annual compensation or their SERPs, we can get that data to you pretty quickly, and that has become more and more important as the marketplace has changed. Uh, so we work with Alan to 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 analyze that data and get get back to. Uh, the organization, sometimes that's boards, sometimes it's the HR department, sometimes it's the CEO. But
0: please you can rely on us for that data as well. Well, Kirk, thank you for taking your time out of uh, your busy day and your busy schedule to, to to talk with me and educate our audience a little bit. Uh, we always I enjoyed your insight. I enjoyed the banter, and I, hopefully we'll we'll get you back on here again. A- and we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Mark. Greatly appreciate it. So for all the listeners out there, please go on your favorite audio platform and hit that subscribe button. We're on all the major networks. Thank you to my guest, Kirk Kordileski of OM Financial. Thank you for all the listeners for your support. And we will talk to you soon. Excellent, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Credit Union Conversations podcast. Have a question? Visit markritter.com for more information.